0: Welcome to Health Queries, a podcast where your health questions are answered by faculty and experts in the Macquarie College of Health and Human Services at Missouri State University. I'm your host, Lauren Stockham, and this month we are celebrating Heart Month by discussing heart healthy habits with kinesiology professor Dr. Barbara Bushman.
1: My name is Barbara Bushman, and by training, I'm an exercise physiologist, and I've been teaching here at Missouri State since 1995. The classes I've taught have included everything from our basic anatomy and physiology to exercise physiology. Currently, my teaching focuses on our health appraisal and exercise testing class. Within my professional work, I've been very active as a member of the American College of Sports Medicine. I serve as an associate editor of their Health and Fitness Journal, so I write articles on uh, really a wide variety of topics and. Um, the area that probably relates to our conversation today is an editorship on a book, ACSM's Complete Guide to Fitness and Health. And that really focuses on the health and fitness aspects for the general public. And from my perspective, I don't see fitness as an end point. Rather, it's really the, the starting point so that we can do all that we want to do, all that we need to do in our our day-to-day lives. So that's sort of my approach. There's so many things that are out of our control, um, but those choices we make on being active, making good nutritional choices, um, those are the things I like to focus on.
0: So in your own words, why is heart health important?
1: When I look at the importance of heart health, um, the phrase, um, the heart of the matter (laughs) comes to mind and we use that to really say that's a basic or a central point. And so to me, uh, healthy heart and, and heart health is central to our ability to lead really fulfilling, healthy lives, to do the activities of daily living without having limitations in place. And unfortunately, Heart disease is the leading cause of death in the United States. Um, Stroke uh, related um, relates um, or ranks as the fifth leading cause of death. And there are approximately, uh, looking up some statistics, um, about 1.5 million heart attacks and strokes yearly in the United States. So obviously heart health should be a, a top priority to avoid diseases. But again, on the other side, looking at the importance of being able to fully engage in life. And um, just recently, I shared with my class an experience uh, when my husband and I were at Yellowstone and we were at the what's referred to as the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone. And it's a, a beautiful view. And the best view, there's a parking lot and then there's a path that leads down. And so many people were staying up in the parking lot and trying to look through the trees and to see this view. And it it sort of hurt my heart that they didn't have the fitness. They were choosing to stay or or needing to stay in the parking lot. And they were missing out on that ability to see that amazing view because they probably didn't have that foundation of of fitness to be able to go down what was a little bit of a, a steep path. To me, that's an example of we're, we're missing out on really grabbing onto everything that life has to offer because we have a limitation on our
0: fitness. It's really easy to get out of shape and just not be able to do even simple things like that.
1: And you miss out, the, the again, it, it's it made me sad to see them missing out on that opportunity to be so close and to not have that, again, that fitness foundation to feel comfortable with their ability to go down the path and be able to, again, it was pretty, it was a little steep to come back up and they, there was a limitation there.
0: Yeah, that's tough. I love that though. I love your explanation and your heart behind it. So this year, the CDC's division for heart disease and stroke prevention is shining a light on hypertension as a leading risk factor for heart disease and stroke. Can you explain how hypertension puts a person in this risk category and kind of the physiology behind that?
1: Yeah, hypertension is our technical way of saying high blood pressure. So in general, blood pressure looks at or reflects what that force of the blood pushing against the walls of the arteries in the body. And arteries are those blood vessels that carry the oxygen and the nutrients out to the muscles and to the organs throughout the body. So ideally, um, healthy arteries are flexible, they're strong, they're elastic. And when we have that higher pressure of hypertension, that inner lining can become damaged um, over time, it can become less elastic, so it will limit our blood flow. And if we have a weakened area, you could have an aneurysm, um, a bulge in the wall that could uh, potentially rupture. If we're looking in the heart, uh, the damage to those vessels could impede the ability to get the oxygen and nutrients out where it's needed. We can also have higher workload of the heart. So we could have heart attack or heart failure, even sudden cardiac death. Looking at the brain, damage to the brain can occur. So looking at stroke, and again, that is the fifth leading cause of death. And other areas of the body can be affected as well, like the kidneys. Uh, The kidneys are important for filtering uh, fluid and waste from the blood. So if we don't have healthy vessels, we can have potential damage there as well due to the the hypertension and, and kidney problems can result. When we look at blood pressure, probably should back up a little bit, Um, it is reported as two numbers. So there's not a single number that we typically look at. Uh, The first number or the highest number is the systolic pressure. That's the highest pressure point when the heart's contracting or beating. Um, The second number, the lower number that we report is the diastolic pressure. And that looks at the heart's um, pressure or the heart is between beats. Uh, when the heart's filling. So we typically report our blood pressure as systolic over diastolic. And if we're looking at hypertension, that starts at a systolic of 130 or a diastolic of 80 or above. Um, so that's sort of where we, the, the standards are set. We would like blood pressure to be less than 120 for systolic and less than 80 for the, the diastolic hypertension um, is all too common. We're looking at nearly half of the United States population having hypertension. And when they look at that number, only about one in four have it under control. So that to me is extremely concerning. When we're looking at blood pressure, we don't really feel when our our blood pressure is high. It's not something that typically has a lot of symptoms. And so hypertension, it sort of has the nickname, the silent killer, because there aren't any signs or symptoms. People are are feeling fine. They don't see a need to have their blood pressure tracked. To me, this is one of those situations where ignorance is not bliss. We need to have it checked um, regularly. One of the statistics um, I, I noted was about one in three U.S. adults that have high blood pressure aren't aware of it. If you don't know, um, you can't take good preventative action.
0: Wow. Half? I half. didn't realize that it was half.
1: We are a society with a lot of hypertension.
0: So how does someone manage or control hypertension or prevent prevent would be the
1: the optimal Um, in in looking at at hypertension medications are going to be warranted in a lot of situations and that i would say is outside of my scope of practice Um, i'll turn that over to individuals working with their healthcare provider so in many circumstances there may be um, pharmaceutical approaches to help with controlling or managing blood pressure so within my scope um, i like to emphasize the aspects we have control over so looking at healthy living habits like being physically active, eating a healthy diet. And the good news on that, it helps on both sides, the prevention side on avoiding hypertension in the first place, as well as treatment if someone is diagnosed with hypertension. The dietary aspect, one of the um, approaches to nutrition that's been looked at is referred to as the DASH diet, and DASH stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension, and it's a it's an eating plan that reflects fruits and vegetables and whole grains, uh, low fat, fat free dairy, fish, poultry, beans, nuts, vegetable oils. Um, at the same time, trying to limit those saturated fats, limit the sugar, sweetened beverages and, and sweets. So it focuses on um, diet that is rich in potassium, calcium magnesium fiber, as well as protein, limiting that sodium saturated fats, trans fats. Uh, The sodium target, um, that's one that's sort of of importance with blood pressure, targeting 2,300 milligrams or less, Um, A lot of times the target will be lower for individuals with hypertension, maybe 1,500 milligrams or less. And uh, to put that in context, the, the average American consumes about 3,400 milligrams per day. On the other side, looking at physical activity, I would say that if someone has heart disease, hypertension, other risk factors it's really ideal to seek some clearance from your healthcare provider first. We want safety as our our top priority. Once that um, clearance is in place, then looking at a nice complete exercise program, ideally aerobic activity, um, some sort of resistance training for muscular fitness flexibility, Um, some balance, neuromotor exercise training, and um, in particular for hypertension, the emphasis really is um, typically on the aerobic as well as resistance training. Uh, The aerobic training, we look at five to seven days per week um, because we want that consistent impact on blood pressure. There's a beneficial effect of exercise, the aerobic exercise on lowering blood pressure. Um, And then resistance training, two to three days per week flexibility two to three days per week. And I had um, pulled an article I wrote a number of years ago and it gave some some specifics. Um, I don't always remember these numbers off the top of my head, um, but they looked at the potential benefit of different types of activity to improve blood pressure. And for aerobic activity, uh, they were shown uh, showing that individuals with um, that already had normal blood pressure, they could lower their blood pressure about two to four millimeters of mercury. And for those who had hypertension, that aerobic activity could lower it by about eight millimeters of mercury. So pretty significant. Um, Resistance training, not quite as impressive, Um, about four millimeters of mercury for those who had hypertension, and then a couple, two millimeters of mercury for those with normal blood pressure. But showing the potential impact of just the exercise um, alone on making that a regular habit.
0: I'm curious to know what your thoughts are about America's obsession with fast food. It's excessive. Um,
1: we we do have a fast food um, infatuation. I think we, we like the convenience. Um, and the problem is most of the sodium that a person takes in, it's not the the salt all on your, on your table, although that's something to consider. Uh, most of it comes from those processed, the, the restaurant foods. So that's one of the areas of really uh, concern with the high sodium content. One of the recommendations oftentimes is to look at eating at home where you have a little more control over potentially the sodium content that you're having within your, your food, as well as just the overall composition.
0: It's interesting that, but- just one small change like that makes such a difference.
1: And especially for individuals that are a little more salt sensitive or sodium sensitive, it can make a a major
0: impact. What are some other risk factors for developing heart disease?
1: Um, When we look at heart disease, there are some that can be changed. They refer to those as modifiable and some that can't. So some of the things we can't change, um, one is males tend to have a higher risk although the risk for women increases after menopause. Um, The dreaded age, (laughs) the risk increases with age, we can't do much about that. Uh, Different um, racial groups, the cardiovascular disease risk is higher among African-Americans, Mexican-Americans, American Indians, Native Hawaiians, as well as some Asian-Americans. Family history, if you have a parent with heart disease, your risk is higher. So, you know, we can't really change many of those. Now on the list that we can change or we we can at least influence one being smoking, either your practice or decreasing the exposure to secondhand smoke, Um, high cholesterol. Again, that's impacted by by age, as well as um, sex, heredity and diet. So other things come into that as well. Uh, Physical inactivity that we've already um, talked about. Um, Obesity and overweight and um, having a a weight loss of even um, three to 5% of body weight can help to reduce risk. So it shouldn't be discouraging that a person has to achieve some, you know, far off ideal body weight, uh, even those initial decreases. So mainly we're the, the focus is on the visceral fat, fat around the, the thorax and abdomen that tends to be increasing risk. So weight management is an important aspect. And then um, diabetes, um, type two diabetes is another uh, factor that can increase risk. In terms of prevention, I really like the American Heart Association has what they call life's simple seven. And so a way to sort of highlight what are the things that we can do? And so number one they have is managed blood pressure, um, which is the, the big focus here with our February heart month is hypertension. Number two is controlling cholesterol. Number three, reducing blood sugar that would relate to the diabetes. Number four, getting active. Five, eating better. Uh, Number six is losing weight. And number seven is stop smoking. And within that Life Simple 7, they talk about ways that you can actually implement those aspects. And I found it really interesting as I looked through the list, move more was one of the methods to put that into action for so many of them, whether it was managing blood pressure, controlling cholesterol, reducing blood sugar. Uh, even helping with stop smoking as we have people get active and handling that stress, losing weight. So um, I felt like my area and as an exercise physiologist, I was like, yes, it's on there many times throughout the list as ways that we can really try to address the risk.
0: You're like exercise works. (laughs) I promise. (laughs) Yay. yay, Exercise. Go exercise. Spinning. Spinning off of that. What would you say to motivate people to exercise who don't regularly exercise?
1: Um, I think it's really a matter of understanding that movement really matters and just finding ways to infuse activity. You have to find something that you really enjoy doing. I don't think people will stick with things that they don't enjoy. So whether it's, I like to go out for a walk with a friend, make that your activity, Um, the time of day, don't set yourself up for failure. If you're not a morning person, don't join the 6 a.m. aerobic class. I don't know why folks continue to, again, set themselves up for, for a failure. Find something that works in your schedule that you enjoy doing. A lot of times I'll do some of my activity on a treadmill. People say, man, that's boring. I'm like, no, you know, I will, I'll listen to the radio or maybe I'll have a book on tape. I've gone longer just to find out what's happening in my, you know, my mystery. Um, So finding ways to make it um, enjoyable, I think is the, the biggest first step.
0: I love it. So what can the general public outside the medical community do to bring awareness to these healthy habits and heart disease prevention?
1: One of the things I think that we can do as a community is look at ways to increase access to places to be active. So if we're gonna infuse activity, whether it's um, safe parks um, to be able to to go and walk and be active at, to play, to move, um, and and realizing those habits take time to develop. So how are the, the settings that we have encouraging us to move more? What can we do as families or groups or friends or um, even groups of strangers? I'm always looking at things like the biking club, the walking club, the mall walking group. Each of us is real unique, but a lot of times we like that connection with others, that support system. So having that in place and in reaching out to those groups to really encourage us to, to fit in some activity one of the, the areas that I've, I've written on a, a bit is on dog walking. And um, so when I talk about being active as a family, that could include pets. Um, I'm an owner or a, a parent of two German Shepherds. And um, it's interesting that the American Heart Association actually looked at the impact of dog ownership on activity. And they found that dog owners have a higher level of walking and physical activity than non-dog owners. Now, of course, that's a relationship. So active folks may acquire dogs, or it could be that dogs are somewhat helpful in motivating us to be active. And so they refer to it as the Lassie effect. So that unique sort of dog-human relationship that's motivating and encouraging. So, um, you know, maybe looking at how you can incorporate your dog as an encouragement um, because I'm pretty positive. They always seem ready to go for a walk. I love that. (laughs) That's so sweet. I I like the term that they had the lassie effect. I'm like, that is awesome.
0: That was awesome.
1: Thank you for sitting down and talking with me. (laughs) I'm hoping that everyone's going to focus on what they can do as we celebrate um, Heart Month here this February.
0: Join us back here next month as we take another dive into your health questions and interests. For more information on the Macquarie College of Health and Human Services, visit missouristate.edu mchhs and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at msumchhs.